0: today is you know where do we go from here a little bit of a look back over 2017 and a look forward You know, I, I don't know about you but i often feel like the year comes to a very rapid finish you know our kids are at school up until the 22nd you know they finish school it's christmas and i know you know work will start again and all of a sudden the, the holidays will have disappeared so so you know I, I want us to think a little bit about how we're going to use the Christmas time, the end of the year, you know everyone makes New Year's resolutions and all those kind of things, and by two weeks into the new year, people have broken them, etc. But but I actually think that, that taking those kind of times, taking holidays, taking ends of years, uh, as a time to look back... And to look forward is a really good thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and I don't know about you. I always feel, particularly at Christmas, you know, over the last few days, even with the snow and things up, the temptation for me to kind of just vegetate and watch movies and do nothing productive over the holidays is pretty strong. And I actually think, you know, a couple of days of that is not necessarily a bad thing either. But but it's also, I think, important to kind of think ahead and think, okay, where, you know, what was good about 2017? What wasn't so good? What can I do again that was good? 2018, and what can I, necess- you know, perhaps drop or change in 2018 that wasn't necessarily so good in 2017. And I really think, as well, one of the things that the first and I've been talking a lot about over the last um, couple of months is, is is how you know the men really can lead the, the way forward in 2018. You know, uh, and I want us to think a little bit about that. So, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. I'm sorry, I have a bit of a cold, so Come on, here. hopefully you can still hear Come on, here. what I'm saying. I will try and enunciate a little more <laughs> I know, might do otherwise. So, Matthew 14. Familiar passage, but I want us to think a little bit about this one at the end of the year. Matthew 14, verse 22. So said, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there. Alone, And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the winds, as buffeted by the waves, because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, crying out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. It's a powerful passage. I don't, I, you know, I don't know how many times you, you've thought over this passage over the years, but, but it's a powerful passage. You know, and, and I've got three points simply for us to think about uh, at the end of uh, 2017 from this passage. You know, just before this, Jesus had fed the 5,000. So this was a pretty momentous time. And there's all sorts of reasons why Jesus might have immediately told the disciples to get into the boat. John gives us one reason. He tells us in John's Gospel that for the crowds were ready to make Jesus king. And so a lot of scholars think, well, you know, Jesus wanted to get his disciples out of the way in case they kind of thought, oh yeah, this is a great idea, let's make Jesus king now. All this kind of stuff, Jesus was trying to clear the way, he was trying to dismiss the crowds and clear his disciples out of the way to clear all distractions because that wasn't the time. It's interesting Then Jesus goes up on the mountain to pray. You know, maybe he was a little tested at that point. Maybe he, in his heart, was kind of wondering, wow, you know, what if, you know, like he was tested in the desert, what if I'm meant to be the Messiah, in the way that people want me to be. No, but anyway, Jesus dismisses the crowds, the 5,000, he goes up the mountain, they go into the boat, and they set out. Three quick points. Number one, seeing Jesus in the storm. The, the timing here, I think, really matters. So verse 15 tells us that it was about evening time, which would have been so. So the Jewish count, the daytime is divided into four three-hour segments. So, probably tells us, that we're talking between 3pm and 6pm is when Jesus is feeding the 5,000. So, 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 straight after that, having fed them, he puts the disciples into the boat. He says, immediately, he put the disciples into the boat and, and sets about dismissing the crowd. Which tells us it's probably between about 6pm and 9pm that they get into the boat. Let's say, for say, sake of probably closer to 8pm, 9pm. <coughs> Sorry. Verse 25 then tells us that it was in the last section of the night, which would have been 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. A lot of scholars think it was probably, for, for various reasons, around 4 a.m. in the morning. Hmm. Why is this important? It meant the disciples had been in that boat for about 7 to 8 hours. Wow. 7 to 8 hours in that boat. John tells us in John six that they had only actually travelled about three point five to four miles. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I, I, I do a bit of rowing myself, when I checked on this on the, on the world record. The world record to row three miles five kilometres is fourteen minutes. Now, now you know, that's a single person, a one man boat rowing, you know, at pace fourteen minutes. Let's say, for the sake of argument, you know, a set of guys in a reasonable sized boat. You know, back four miles, a couple of hours, you know, one, two hours, probably if they were going, you know, at a reasonable kind of pace. But they've been in the boat for seven to eight hours. All four Gospels record this instant of them in the boat and of Jesus walking on the water. Only Matthew records Peter walking on the water. But all four of them have this instant of the boat, this long period of time through the night, of Jesus walking on the water. You know, why were they in so much trouble? Why had this taken them seven to eight hours? Well, in 1992, on the Lake of Galilee, the lake that they were on, they recorded waves ten feet high. Ten feet high. I'm not going So these guys are a smallish, well, right now, let's say there's only twelve of them, there may be a few more, but, 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 but ten feet high is, is kind of probably, you know, somewhere around here. So you're in a small boat that's—it's not in you know, a multi decks or whatever. It's—it's it's a single, you know, you're, you're on the surface of the water, and you have waves potentially at uh, this time on the Lake of Galilee, and they—they they whip up pretty fast. Apparently, the wind whips across from the from the, from the east and northeast, and they—they they whip up waves this height. <coughs> Can you imagine, you know? What you would feel like. I mean, you know, I've been on boats before, bigger boats than that, in reasonable kind of ways. Nothing close to ten foot waves. But a small boat, you know, with nothing but oars. No, I can't imagine they had life jackets or anything like that. And the waves potentially are that size. It says for sure that the wind was against them. That was why they had spent seven to eight hours rowing three and a half miles they were, you know, In Mark six forty-seven. in his account, it says that they were in the middle of the lake. It says that they were straining, the word they were straining at the oars with the wind against them. The, the point all four of the Gospels want to make at this point is, is that they were going nowhere. Hmm. They may have, you know, maybe, maybe they got to that point and the wind whipped up and they were going nowhere. They were not reaching their destination. Hmm. Now, there's lots of different, accounts of, what, you know, interpretations of what, what does this mean? What are the Gospel writers trying to tell us? And, and, and I actually think all of them have different kind of versions of interesting stories about, you know, what's the message Matthew's trying to get, get across here. But there's one account in particular I think is really interesting. There's a set of scholars who actually think, Matthew's trying to tell us something about the church. There's a lot of scholars who equate the, or you think that the boat is a symbol for the church. you kind of think, you are. There's a lot of scholars who think that, 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 that there's a message going on here, and there's all sorts of reasons why that, you know, where Jesus was sending them was not the place they were going, meant to be going to, they were meant to be going to uh, a, a Gentile destination, they ended up in a Jewish destination. There's all sorts of, mixed kind of other messages that people kind of read into this. But a lot of scholars say that the, the boat is actually meant to be representative of the church, and the conflicts and the tensions that can arise in the church. I've got a quote from one of those scholars who says, Can congregations, in the midst of their own persecutions and struggles and chaos and storms, believe that Jesus, with all his authority, is with them, even though unseen? Well, mm. scholars think, you know, what, 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 what's going on? These guys are rowing as hard as they can and they're fighting. And, they're, and you can imagine the guys in the boat and they're bickering with each other. You go, you're pulling your weight and work harder pull in the wrong direction, you know, and all this the squabbling that starts to come because they're caught, and they're going nowhere, and they feel powerless, and they're terrified, you know, these waves are breaking over them, and you can picture the scene. Mm. And it makes us think a little bit about seeing Jesus in the storm. You know, in the church, what kind of conflicts might we have had in 2017? Well, you know, let me, let me give you three that might have occurred. Sometimes we have conflicts because we are giving input to someone else. Right, We're trying to help someone with some, something in their life, something we've noticed. And that, on our part, takes takes courage, doesn't it? I mean, that, that's, that's challenging to raise something with someone else. It's much easier to just kind of pass the buck let someone else do with it. Yeah. That can raise <clears throat> conflict. Sometimes we're, we're, we're on the other end. We're, we're receiving input from someone. I don't know about you. I don't like input. Like Mark Templer, a who used to lead the UK church, he said, everyone is rebellious. Everyone's rebellious. We're more, no one likes to receive... Challenges or input. Now the difference is, some people they're rebellious, but then they get humble, and some people are rebellious and mm. they stay rebellious. They they just can't take input from wow. outside. But but if we're taking input from people, it requires humility. Mm. Mm. And, and, and and a third type of conflict can be not just the personal ones, but kind of what I would call strategic ones, like the you know the direction of the church. Which, which way are we going as a church? What what's the right kind of way? And again. That takes a level of humility to put aside our own agenda. I remember when I was a young Christian, um, uh, you know, nearly 20 years ago, a friend of mine in London, Rob Payton, used to preach at almost every sermon. It was kind of like, you know, he'd find a way to put this in there. He'd say, he'd say, it's not about who is right. It's about what is right. It's not about who is right. It's about what is right. And, and, and I think what he was getting at is that sometimes we have to die. Well, no, not sometimes... We always have to die to our personal agenda. What, what we want, as opposed to, what is, what is Jesus' agenda for the church? Mm. What does Jesus want for the church? What is his vision? Otherwise, we find ourselves just like these guys were, because they'd lost sight of Jesus. There was no Jesus in the picture. They, they were caught, they were powerless, they were battling, they were going on. you know, and, 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 and they were going nowhere because of the infighting in the boat, and the storms, and the wind that was holding them back. Seeing Jesus in the storm. Second thing, get out of the boat. Verse 28, it says that in the middle of this thing, they see Jesus coming on, verse 28 says, Peter decides to get out of the boat. And you have to kind of wonder, why? I mean, it's a very kind of, like, you know, if you're watching some kind of Mel Gibson drama, and you, and you kind of think, yeah, man, go for it! Have you seen that film, uh, Hacksaw Ridge? Have yeah. you seen that one? Great movie, great movie, and the guy's nuts. If you've not seen it, you should watch it. It's a very, kind of, deeply spiritual movie. And, and he's, he's completely insane. He works all through the night, rescuing these dead, you know, virtually dead soldiers. It's a true story. And you think, that Peter. Wow, this is Hollywood, it's awesome! But if you're in the boat, and you're Peter, what, why? What possesses you to get out of the boat? Right? And you can bet his other friends in the boat were saying to him, What are you doing? Flat nuts. Verse 29 tells us in the sense that, that, that Jesus appreciated what Peter was doing. Jesus appreciated Peter. Said, how, how, how do we know that? Well, you see, Peter says, If it's you, tell me to get out of the boat. Jesus could quite easily have said, "Hold, just no, 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 hold, just calm down for a minute. I'm coming to the boat to you to rescue you." <laughs> but Jesus' response is one word: "Come." And not only that, at the end, when Peter when, when Peter's sinking the water and he rescues him and pulls him out, if Jesus had thought this was a bad idea, he would have reprimanded him and said, "Peter, look, I appreciate your courage, but you should have saved the boat." But he doesn't. He reprimands him for his lack of faith in sinking in the water. He says, you know, why, why did you sink? So Jesus, in his mind, is thinking, this is a great thing to do. Well done mm. for stepping out of the boat. Why did you sink? You should have, you, know, you walked. This is amazing. What's the lesson for us? Again, a lot of scholars, you know, and, 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 you know, what was going through Peter's mind, what's the deep theological message? I was thinking about it the other day, I thought, you know, I actually think that the lesson is quite a simple I think it's as simple as this. Peter saw Jesus walking on water and he thought, what what do we do as disciples? We just do what Jesus does. I don't think there was a deep theological, the waves breaking over him and things. I think Jesus, Peter just thought, if following Jesus is, 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 is doing what he does, he's walking on water, I want to try that too. I just want to do what Jesus did. And I think there's a challenge there for us, thinking then ahead about 2018, right? Which is the challenge of, of taking risks. You know, the older we get, and some of the younger guys, you'll already be seeing this, and you know, just, you've seen Jamie in the front row. I appreciate Jamie's spirit recently, kind of, you know, saying, I, I just want to take a risk. I want to go do a one year challenge. I want to I take a, a step of faith. I appreciate that spirit. And I've got to be honest, as we get older as Christians and people, you know, the, the temptation to wind down. And that's not just a Christmas thing. That's actually, you know, and, 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 and maybe there's part of that that's kind of good and healthy as well, like my, my body isn't, you know, I'm 38 now, nearly 39, my body is not the same as it was 20 years ago. There's some things that I know, you know, and, and I do silly, crazy, things mean, Forrest sometimes go to the gym, go to the gym and map budget as well. I and mean, I sometimes do these crazy kind of movements and, you know, chop the end of my finger or, or crazy things that I just shouldn't have, have tried to do. So, 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 so actually, growing up is partly also kind of learning your limitations. But, but I think one of the temptations we face as Christians is to get more and more subdued mm. and sedate over time. And rather than kind of you know being out there on the front line and taking risks, we we you know we, we counsel other people, or we sit around in our little D groups or whatever, and mm. kind of confess our sin and then go home and, and kind of uh, mess up again. But you know. Um, question for us, you know, where where have we put limits on God? Where have we put limits on God working? You know, we were sitting in a uh, family leaders meeting the other day, and, and, and one of those sisters, I won't, won't say who, but she, but she said something, and I, I just I kind of thought, why? Wow, you know, that's really, really enlightening, she said, she said, she'd been out recently with some of the other sisters, and they've been sharing their faith, and she said, wow, you know, it was great, people weren't as like as unfriendly as I seem to remember them being in the past, you know, and and it's funny, isn't it? Like sometimes we kind of do that. We kind of look back, we've been Christians for a while and we kind of the people we remember if we are sharing our faith, the people we remember might be the people who've been close. I had one guy headbutt me in the face, and <laughs> someone else punch me, you know, like we, we remember those things and we forget. Hold on a second, I remember meeting this guy, Dave Borthwick, this he was a scaffolder in Manchester, and I it was a horrible day of sharing my faith, but I remember praying and meeting this guy, a Scottish guy, Dave from Edinburgh, whose life was falling apart. He was a recovering alcoholic, and he came along. and I went off on holiday, and I came back. and The day that I came back, he, the Saturday I came back, the Sunday he was baptized. Oh, yeah. hmm. and, and And but I forget those things. I remember a lot of the negative. and And, and so what we do is we do that kind of thing. Uh, that person's not. You know, we, and, and, and have you ever done that? You've been walking towards someone, and you have, and you feel this prompting, right? And you can, you you, you want to. I don't want to hear that voice, but you. Yeah, and, and, and I think it's the Spirit. The Spirit says to you, "Look, look, look at this person." And you, and, and you even do that. You look at them and you think, "I should, I should." And then, and then, and then there's this other voice that kind of goes, "But you know, I'm pushed for time now, and they're probably not open anyway. And a statistical probability they're not open, so I won't, I won't do anything." <coughs> you ever been in that situation? Mm-hmm. Can I ask you a really blunt question? I asked this question about 19 years ago in a leaders' meeting, and it, and it didn't go down very well. So, so. Forgive me if I if I offend, you, but 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 can I ask a question? Because since we are amongst the brothers, can I ask an honest question? Yeah. 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 So 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 please raise your hand if you shared your faith today with someone. Some, someone could be a could be a colleague, could be a, a stranger, could be a friend, could be a family member. If you shared your faith today, okay. But raise your hand if you if, if if in the last week you've shared your faith with someone. In the last month. Great, right. you know, which which is great, and and and, and that's that's great, right? And, right. That, and that's good. But 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 there are also a few mm-hmm. hands that didn't go up, and I suspect if it was all the brothers here tonight, there'd be more hands that that you know I haven't shared my faith today. I haven't shared my faith probably since last Wednesday. You know, so so I'd be in that kind of just weak. But but the point is not how many times. The point is, is it on our heart? Are we actually taking that risk to share the gospel with people? You know, one of the things, again, that Forrester has been thinking a lot about at the beginning of next year is is throwing the net out as wide as possible. And how do we do that as family groups? And and that's something I think to be thinking about over Christmas. You know, what ways, what kind of activities or whatever can we do to try and get the word out to people? to, To make new friends, to invite new people to something and they can come in contact with the church. I think that's something to be thinking about. Getting out of the boat. Having that Peter faith Again. And final thing, fixing our lives. You know, verse 30, like right, Peter walked on water. There's a lot of pretty incredible things that happen in the gospel, but, but most of the time they're, they're around Jesus, right? Like Jesus, he heals people, he gives people back their sight, you know, he raises the dead, he fills jugs full of water, turns them into wine. Jesus does some pretty incredible things. There are times in the Gospels and the Book of Acts where, where the disciples are sent out and they do similar kind of healing things. But I've got to be honest, I think this is possibly the greatest miracle that a disciple did, in a sense, or happened to a disciple that a disciple experienced. He walked on water. What purpose did it serve? Did it heal someone of their blindness? No. Did it... Make someone who'd never been able to walk before? No. But Peter walked on water. And then, he sunk because of the wind. As long as he was looking at Jesus, he was able to do the impossible. Mm. The impossible. I mean, it's not possible for a human being to walk on water. We went to this thing in in Munster, in Germany, this summer. And and, and this artist has created this piece of, of, of artwork as part of this big festival. Where it's an old, disused kind of iron smelting factory, and they've got the canal comes big thing, you know, the size of yeah, the size of this room. It comes in where the barges and ships used to bring the stuff in to be, you know, metal works or whatever. And 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 this artist has just below the surface of the water, about an inch below, has created a platform that's basically invisible, you know, and so people can walk across. And it's meant to be kind of like a biblical analogy, but people actually walk across. The water and thousands, tens of thousands of people go there every day just to walk across the water. And it's a very strange feeling. It's a very strange feeling. But isn't the Christian life a little bit like that? Isn't the Christian life a bit like doing the impossible, living the impossible? I, I'm not just talking about like, you know, see people become Christians or something like that, but 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 how many of us have ever tried to live a pure life before we were Christians and succeeded. Like I've got to be honest, I'll come back to this. What about our temper? Like Jesus calls us to the impossible. Mm. I mean it's it's not impossible because we have the spirit in us and we have grace, but 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 you know the call to control our anger and our temper.
1: Mm.
0: You know, be angry but do not sin. Be angry about the right things. Mm-hmm. Be selfless. It's impossible. In our flesh, it is impossible to be selfless, to be pure. Colossians 3 2 says, set your minds on things above where Christ is seated in the right hand of God. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Fix your eyes. There's something about that that the New Testament writers want us to do. Like fix your know, the word there is keep your attention, think deeply about Jesus. And I think, you know, maybe in the back of their minds they're also thinking about Peter as he walks on water. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Mm-hmm. What's the lesson for us? I read this Barclays commentary many years ago, and, and he made a really interesting point. He said, he said, the gospel writers, they had a myriad of stories they could have chosen, but, but, but they didn't just choose stories to say, oh, here's something nice that happened. There was always some mm. significance about, this is, this is what life that Jesus is always like. This is what it's like to be around Jesus. This is, what, this is what Jesus is always, the kind of thing that Jesus is always doing. There's, there's a deeper message about any of the message, any of the stories that they tell. And I think that the, 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 the message from this is Jesus won't let us drown. Mm. And again you think, what you want? Jesus won't let us drown. Look what Peter says. Or Matthew writes it, he was just beginning to sink. He was just beginning to sink. And he shouts out, Lord, save me. Hmm. And it says, immediately, Jesus reached out and grabbed a hold of him. He was just beginning to sink. Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus grabs a hold of him. You see, there's a balance, I think, as being a Christian. You know, we try to walk on water, doing those things, controlling our temper, being pure. You know, these things they are impossible for us, but we try because that's what Jesus says. You know, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We fail, we start to sink, we confess, we repent, we need grace. Jesus's hand constantly reaches out. It's it's it's, it's an allegory. It's a message about the cross.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: It's actually a whole message about the Christian life. It's not just. Wow, hey, look at Peter. Wow, what do you do? It's a message about our Christian lives. This is what it means to be a Christian. Mm. Jesus calls us to walk on water, to do things we can't do in our flesh. And we struggle and we fall and we fail, but he, he reaches out he rescues us. That's grace right there. But you know, maybe you can relate to that. You know, maybe 2017 has been tough in all sorts of ways. Could be purity, could be other things, could be losing your temper, could be relationships broken down, could be anger, unforgiveness. And you feel like you're sinking below the water at some level. Right? And the lesson here is is about, you know, we've got to reach out, we've got to get back up again because there's grace. Yeah. we've got to reach out for Jesus because, you know, if we keep our eyes fixed on him, there's mercy, there's grace. We've got to get open. We've got to repent. But there is hope. we've got to get back in the fight again. Thank so, you. so 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 in closing. I want to show you a kind of a more, uh, you know, upbeat uh, vision for 2018. You know, we talked a little bit about, you know, dealing with, with conflict, getting rid of our personal agenda and seeing Jesus' agenda. We've talked, what was the second point again? I've lost track of who we are. We've talked about, you know, taking a risk and stepping out of the boat.
1: That's right. Uh, yeah.
0: right. And we've talked about keeping our eyes on Jesus even when we start to sink below the waves, yep. reaching out, accepting mercy uh, at our time of need, being open, uh, and getting back in the fight. Let me show you a quick video if I can get the thing to work. appreciate you bro, thank you. A vision for
1: 2018. It's a two minute video. You must be easy to follow. Now here comes the first follower with a crucial role. He publicly shows everyone else how to follow. Notice how the leader embraces him as an equal. So it's not about the leader anymore, it's about them, plural. Notice how he's calling to his friends to join in. So it takes guts to be a first follower. You stand out and you break ridicule yourself. Being a first follower is an underappreciated form of leadership. The first follower transforms a lone nut into a leader. If the leader is the flint, the first follower is the spark that really makes the fire. Now here's the second follower. This is a turning point. It's proof the first has done well. Now it's not a lone nut and it's not two nuts. Three is a crowd and a crowd is news. A movement must be public. Make sure outsiders see more than just the leader. Everyone needs to see the followers because new followers emulate followers, not the leader. Now here come two more people, then three more immediately. Now we've got momentum. This is the tipping point and now we have a movement. As more people jump in, it's no longer risky. If they were on the fence before, there's no reason not to join in now. They won't stand out, they won't be ridiculed, and they will be part of the in-crowd if they hurry. And over the next minute, you'll see the rest prefer to stay part of the crowd, because eventually they'd be ridiculed for not joining. And ladies and gentlemen, that is somehow a movement is made. So let's recap what we've learned. If you are a version of the shirtless dancing guy, all alone, remember the importance of nurturing your first few followers as equals, making everything clearly about the movement, not you. Be public, be easy to follow. But the biggest lesson here, did you catch it? Leadership is over Yes, it started with the shirtless guy, and he'll get all the credit, but you saw what really happened. It was the first follower that transformed a lone nut into a leader. There's no movement without the first follower. See, we're told that we all need to be leaders, but that would be really ineffective. The best way to make a movement, if you really care, is to courageously follow and show others how to follow. When you find a lone nut doing something great, have the guts to be the first person to stand up and join in. He dances like you, Zach.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, in closing, you know, in a sense, you know, Jesus is already the first dancer, right? He's kind of already the lone walking on water. But equally, I think you know, we in our family groups, if we're leaders, or you know, you know, we can take a part of that role, you know, to do go do crazy things, but also wherever. You know, Mm -hmm. there's something about that kind of crazy first follower thing to take a risk, to be willing to be embarrassed and humiliated that I think all of us could take to heart Mm -hmm. for 2018. Amen. Let's break. Amen. Thank you.